1: It is 8 Degrees in the Twin Cities, Esme Murphy with you for a very shortened show. Uh, I'm only on for an hour because we are going to have a special presentation of It's a Wonderful Life, a a fabulous play. I think most of us know the story. Well, this is actually a play that's uh, coming out of the St. Paul Hotel, and we're going to have that for you starting at 7 o'clock. I'm here with Jonathan Lowe and joining us early, Professor David Schultz. How are you, sir?
2: I'm doing very well. We're at an hour that we normally are not.
1: That's true. Um, You know, I I wrestled about whether or not to talk about politics in this hour in between sports and and obviously that wonderful story. It's a wonderful life. But I really feel that um, if you have been watching, if you have been paying attention and that that is my question to you, how many people are paying attention. Mm -hmm. But if you have been following the impeachment uh, closely. You know that this is going to a vote on Wednesday. And I actually ended up doing stories on other things, uh, the surplus, the budget surplus, state budget surplus, problems with DHS. I think I could probably do problems with DHS for the rest of my life mm-hmm. and not run out of stories. But I, you know, I came home on, I guess it was Wednesday night that they were going late in the Judiciary Committee, and I thought, you know, let me—I should, really should just listen to this for a couple of hours because it was obviously going to go a couple of hours. And it may have been Thursday night; I, I can't recall. But Thursday night, yeah, it was Thursday night, and I was so struck by um, how depressing it seemed, uh, and, and really how angry both sides are, and how. There were some very smart people on both sides looking at essentially the same things and coming to such radically different conclusions. And the anger towards the other side from both sides was was so – raw. I, I just I just it really, really I, I couldn't listen to it for two hours. I, I just could I listened to it for an hour and I thought this is really depressing.
2: Yeah, it was it was hard to listen to. I mean I mean the first off it was, was like fourteen hours and, and I will confess and say that I didn't listen to all fourteen hours either because I had to do, I had to work, I had to yeah, you have a, yeah. we all have other lives to do. But when you did listen to it, um, you're right. The degree of Of polarization, you know, we've talked about this before, partisan rancor, the divisions were just so absolutely um, astronomical um, that you wonder, no matter what comes of this, um, the probable impeachment, you know, House vote on um, Wednesday and then the trial in the Senate, um, we're not going to come out of this. Um, as a nation, um, in very good shape. I mean, it's it's taking a country that's already divided and just dividing us even more.
0: Yeah,
1: it it. I I don't think there's any any question about that. I mean, that being said, it does look like this is going to a full house vote on Wednesday. As soon as Wednesday, uh, it does look like the Democrats have the votes to pass it. I think it's very interesting, though, that we're seeing this phenomenon where apparently there are some moderate Democrats, including Second District. Congresswoman Angie Craig, who've been given a pass by the Democratic leadership to vote no or to vote present or to abstain because they are so vulnerable. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts about that?
2: Well, I'm not surprised because this, again, given that there are Several swing districts, and I still think hers is a swing district, you know, in terms of, you know, it, it, it's still potential that she could lose her race. It's potential that um, Trump could, could win that district again. It's a very, very close district, and I think the Democrats um, are, are holding together a difficult coalition here. Remember, let's take us back, I'm going to say several months. Remember at one point, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi said about impeachment, the president's just not worth it. And she didn't really want to do this. Um, And eventually, I'd say the more liberal wing of the – of the of the House and the more liberal wing of the Democratic Party has pushed the impeachment harder than the moderates. Um, the moderates. Well,
1: what happened also was the whistle. You know, we went it was post Mueller oh, and course, then, then, then the whistleblower surface. But you this is you've got a really good point here. Nancy Pelosi didn't want to do this because she thought this is exactly what would happen. This polar it would, divide, it, it would divide the party it divide it, and, and and nothing would come of it.
2: That's right. That's right. And, and that's exactly what's happening. That's what's happening. That's what's probably what's going to happen, too, in the sense that, again, we'll, we'll talk about the process again here. But at the end of the day, you know, barring something that neither of us can ever foresee here, and I don't think is likely to happen, the president's going to get acquitted in the Senate. And as I talked about in the blog today, what's the game plan for the Democrats the day after the president's acquittal in the Senate? And I think the worry is, um... that they don't have one but even going into this vote here we know how divided the Democrats are that some of them worried about holding on to their positions so that the Democrats can hold on to the House, you know, after the 2020 elections. They are going to give passes to a lot of, of, of centrist or moderate Democrats. And also there's a really good story, I think it's in today's Washington Post or New York Times, that at least one Democrat in New Jersey is going to flip from being a Democrat to a Republican um, because also divided on this issue and his constituents do not Appear to support him being impeached. I could also say in the state of Minnesota. Well, it,
1: it, that that New Jersey Democrat was one of two that voted on an earlier vote. Two Democrats voted against right. the impeachment process. The other one was Colin Peterson exactly, in, in Minnesota's wonderful seventh district.
2: Right. That's exactly who I was going to refer to. Also, is that I expect at least two Democrats in Minnesota, um, or possibly two. I'm um, positive Colin Peterson will vote against um, impeaching. And I still don't know what um, Representative Craig is going to do at this point, whether she'll feel that she needs to go with the vote or she's going to take the pass. Um, it, and again, I think that becomes a strategically important consideration here of how you sort of bridge the national agenda for the Democratic Party, which wants to impeach the president, versus the fact that at the end of the day she has to uh, keep her seat you know, at the, in the 2020 elections.
1: Right. And, and I, I think overall... I would give the the president the edge here in terms of who's winning sort of the PR war or the battle or the handling of this whole thing, because at the end of the day, not one Republican, not one in the entire House, in the entire Senate, appears to be cleaving off here.
2: No, I absolutely agree. And also, if we look at public opinion polls at this point over the last several weeks, Public opinion has not moved whatsoever despite these hearings going on for several weeks. Now, there's evidence that perhaps um, his, his, his base has solidified even more. But in terms of shifting public opinion over toward, um, um, let's say, supporting the Democrats or supporting impeachment and, re- and removal from office, largely where public opinion is right now, is where it was several weeks ago. And in many ways, public opinion largely – an impeachment process largely mirrors what? The overall approval rating and disapproval rating for Donald Trump. And so I don't feel like the Democrats have been able to really move anything. And again, this raises the question that if, if, if the goal for the Democrats – is to either check the president of the United States or to get him out of office. Um, I don't see this impeachment process right now as as succeeding in doing either of them. Um, And that, I think, becomes a major concern for the the Democrats to think about down the line is, again, what do they do uh, the day after the president is acquitted in the Senate?
1: Do you think they will pay for it? At the polls in November, I mean, going back to the Clinton impeachment, uh, the Republicans did pay a big price in the House elections for impeaching President Clinton.
2: Yeah, there's certainly I certainly don't see overall the Democrats benefiting. Now, will it mean that Democrats who vote in favor of it in, in let's say, Minneapolis and St. Paul, like Betty McCollum and uh, Ilhan Omar, They're going to win re-election anyhow. Um, A vote in favor of the president, or vote against the president, um, just just strengthens them even a little bit more, but it's really going to have no impact. Um, Really the question is, how does this affect Democrats in critical swing seats across the country? And again, I'm not convinced that Democrats lose the House of Representatives for this. I know Representative Tom Emmer is convinced that this will cost the Democrats the House. Um, Right now... With with the number of Republicans who have announced that they're not going to run for re-election, which I think is like 15 incumbents, plus the strength that the Democrats have in the suburbs, it would have to be a pretty dramatic backlash. The real issue is both in terms of capturing the presidency and can the Democrats flip a Senate, which is 53, 47 Republican, the Democrat. Can they flip that? uh, Can they flip the Senate, especially at a time when? Of the 34 senators who are running for re-election, 22 are Republican. So I think that's that's where, where we really need to be putting our focus.
1: Okay. Well, listen, we are chatting about impeachment, talking with Professor David Schultz on a Saturday evening coming up in just well about 40 minutes. We're going to have... It's a wonderful life, that special radio play from the St. Paul Hotel. But more about impeachment, more about politics here on a Saturday evening after this break. You're listening to News Talk 830. It's 623 in the Twin Cities. Esme Murphy along with Jonathan Lowe is doing some double duty here producing. uh, And we're glad to have him. Always a pleasure to be with Jonathan talking with David Schultz. Professor David Schultz, about uh, the current political situation. Uh, it looks like the House will, in fact, vote for impeachment on Wednesday, and then it goes to the Senate. It's a possibility, though. Excuse me. Excuse me there. Yeah, um, a little cold. <laughs> I lost um,
2: you there for a second.
1: Yes, no, I, I'm sorry. I just had a little uh, sneeze in me. It, it appears that the Senate is seriously considering not having any witnesses testify. They would just have opening arguments if you've ever sort of seen a trial or seen a TV show about a trial, and then having a vote.
2: Yes. What does that do? Well, I think there's sort of been two minds at this point that Donald Trump has wanted to do an extensive trial.
1: And and he wants – the president wants it more dragged out. He He wants witnesses to
2: be called. He wants witnesses. Potentially he wants to have – Joe Biden subpoenaed, maybe Hunter Biden, and really kind of wants to make this a maybe a spectacle about about Biden um, and maybe to trot out some of those different theories that the House has been talking about for several weeks or something like that. On the other hand, Mitch McConnell, I think, wants to just do this as a quick, um, quick trial, acquittal, and move on at that point. And I think what McConnell's worried about, again, since I mentioned before that we have 34 senators up for election next year, 22 of them which are Republicans. To what extent I think he's worried about um, if Donald Trump gets his way, does this now look like a, a spectacle in the Senate that will wind up also perhaps hurting the, the Republicans in the Senate may be costing them you know, control of their chamber. So so I think they've been going back and forth, and I think McConnell is leaning towards the idea of saying, quick, get this over, move on, um, so that any possible damage um, that would come from it to the Senate goes away, and at the same time, by acquitting the by acquitting the president, it still sends a signal to the Republicans that they're supporting the president. Um, so that's what I think the philosophy is. I'm also going to basically willing to bet you a quarter that McConnell will give perhaps, perhaps may give a couple of the um, – senators who are facing tight reelections like Joni Ernst in Iowa and maybe Susan Collins in Maine are passed to basically you know vote the way they feel like they need to do to hold their seats not guaranteeing it but i could see that as a possibility where where to make sure they get reelected maybe they either vote not guilty or, or basically vote guilty i should say or or um,
1: I know you can vote I know you can vote present in in the house. Yeah. I don't know if you can vote present in the Senate, but
2: Yeah, I'm not sure. So 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 but look for look for that to potentially happen also. But yes, I think McConnell's very much worried about about that as a possibility in terms of what the blowback could be because again, there's potential blowback right now in the House of Representatives we talked about before the break and to what extent can the Republicans now Make you know, make this short, make it quick, and make it look like what they treated this very seriously, and again, not damage themselves,
1: yeah, I just think it's fascinating though that it's the president who's saying no that this is unfair, I want witnesses, this is my turn, this is my chance, and the leadership once again, you know pulling in the reins, trying to tell him no because they think that this could backfire. I think the president feels that the more time he has to explain his side. The better he's going to do mm-hmm. and and you know one could argue that that might very well be the case that, that he's been able to sort of command the the dialogue. It just seems like Democrats in some ways are on the defensive here
2: no, you're right, and I think this has generally been the president's you know method of operation is to try to control the media channels and really sort of set the agenda in terms of communications and I think where the Republicans also are gener- so I think that 's clearly the case, where I think the Republicans are worried is you noticed in terms of the last few days how the Republicans have changed their rhetoric a little bit regarding Donald Trump. Uh, it used to, early on it was the, basically um, denying the facts later on um, in the last few days it 's mostly been saying what the president did doesn 't rise to the level of being an impeachable right. offense, and that 's important because what i don 't think Um, Would work to the president's advantage is trotting out in the Senate um, for weeks and weeks, you know, um, all the things that that he potentially has done. And again, I think it's a risky maneuver on his part. I think it's a risky maneuver for the Senate in terms of, you know, having this stuff be um, discussed, you know, quite a bit.
1: Right. And and to a certain extent, it's kind of what happened with Clinton, you know, where obviously what what Bill Clinton did, having an affair with an intern, is a despicable thing. But Democrats clearly felt it didn't rise. They didn't want him to lose his job over it. Uh, This, you could argue, is something, you know, Democrats are saying about this, is that this is actually an abuse of power. This is more like a a Nixon situation. But – it's going to be interesting to see what happens, you know, in the Senate and if this is all wrapped up by January 1st or, or probably not. January is going to be the trial.
2: It's going to be a trial. The question becomes exactly the placement of the trial now, because if we get to, let's say, a trial that gets to closer or closer to the end of January, that gets us closer and closer to what? the The Iowa caucuses. And we have – by my count, four or five um, U.S. senators who are running for president, including Amy Klobuchar, and they're going to pretty much be locked down um, in the Senate during the during the trial. So depending on timing, again, even if it's earlier in January, this is going to affect them at a critical stage of, of campaigning for president of the United States.
1: All right. Well, listen, we'll have to talk about that when we come back. We have to take a break. Uh, When we come back, we'll give you some weather. You're going to want to hear this. It is going to get mighty cold. And we'll talk about that. The Iowa caucus is just really weeks from now. And then the Minnesota primary and Super Tuesday, not that far off as well, March 3rd. So keep it here. You're listening to News Talk 830. It is 635 on a Saturday evening. Eight degrees here in the Twin Cities. Our studio looking festive with Mike Lynch's lights decorating the same lights that he puts up every year, and I just love them. At least it's it's those things about the holidays that are the same, that are predictable, I think that keep us all sane in this crazy world. Uh, we are talking about the impeachment process with Professor David Schultz. He is joining us early because we are going to be joining It's a Wonderful Life, a wonderful radio play that's coming from the St. Paul Hotel at 7 o'clock. So stay tuned for that. But first, uh, Professor David Schultz, the picture of of the Democratic race should, at least in my view, be getting a little clearer, and it seems to be more muddied by the
2: second. It is getting muddier. And what's interesting, if we looked at the Iowa caucuses, which are the starting point, sort of the official starting point for the presidential party selection process, over the last two to three months, we've had at one point, um, let's say, Peter Buttigieg. We had uh, Elizabeth Warren. We've had Biden. We've had several different individuals in 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 the lead in Iowa. And the latest polls that I've seen now have again um, Joe Biden back in the lead. He's in the middle of his what his his multi county what no malarkey tour. Uh, his phrase, not my phrase, by the way. Um, and it seems incredibly volatile at this point, as the candidates or as the voters in Iowa. Are, are making a variety of decisions regarding um, what they think about them. And this is not a surprise because the, the closer we're getting to the Iowa caucuses, the more and more people are are paying more attention, they're gathering more information, and they're starting to make up their minds. Remember three, well, say four years ago, we had um, Ben Carson at one point who was in the lead for the Republicans. We had, now I'm forgetting his name again, who was the head of the, the pizza person. Um, you know, remember who I'm talking about? Uh, I am not. He was. Wasn't he the president of, of Domino's Pizza at one point? Okay. It's Repu- vaguely
1: coming back to me.
2: Yeah, I'm forgetting his name now. Maybe your maybe um, your producer and Jared can look it up. But the point being is that we had several Republicans, you know, who who cycled in at one point, being in the lead in Iowa, and we're seeing the same thing here. But you're absolutely correct here. As we're getting closer and closer to Iowa. Um, it's, it's not clear if anybody has a, a, a definite advantage, and I can see in the next 40 days or so that the mix in terms of how it's set up right now, who's in the lead. Oh, Herman Cain. Herman Cain, yes. Okay. <laughs> it was Domino's Pizza, wasn't it?
1: No, Godfather's. <laughs> oh, Godfather, Godfather. <laughs> Little okay, Caesars. Was, Little Caesar's, Caesars,
2: is it? Uh, a yeah. little, I believe a little, is he the little you No, know, Godfathers. Daughter. Oh, Godfathers, okay. Yeah. I okay. thought it was one of the okay. Detroit ones. Yeah. Okay, so we knew it was pizza, we knew it was CEO, we couldn't remember what his name, we couldn't remember the pizza. Okay, uh, pretty bad for all of us. But anyhow, the point being is that we're going to see a lot of, I think, continued volatility in the next five weeks um, um, going into Iowa, simply because the voters are paying more attention, the candidates are campaigning harder, and and people are going to start to make up their minds.
1: I don't think I've ever asked you this. What is the impact of all of this noise about Joe Biden and his son on Joe Biden, even for people who are think the president should be impeached? I have to think that it has to be wearing on him and his support.
2: Well, I think so, too. But we don't have any really firm polling data on that in terms of what the backlash would be. I know in terms of the Democrats that his – we could say that his performance in the debates has not been strong, and that may be an understatement, but nonetheless. I think it's an
1: understatement. <laughs> yeah. It's no.
2: been pretty, pretty terrible. Pretty terrible. I'm trying but, to. Be-
1: but, you know, I think no nobody was really surprised by that. I mean, everybody what? sort of knew that this. he's somebody who, who while he, he can be. Um, very articulate and and can speak well, he also can just put his foot in his mouth in the biggest
2: way. It's unbelievable. Yeah, he's got a combination of of gaffes and also he is a stutterer. I mean, he's, he's challenged with stuttering, too. And so you put the two together, and he, he's not always the strongest public speaker. And again, maybe it's because it's the holidays. I'm being very charitable at this point.
1: You're being very charitable. I think. I, I mean, I you know, I I think Joe Biden seems like a genuinely nice person, yeah, but I he, think he's he does, done, he his performances in the debates have been pretty poor. People seem to forgive that because I don't think they're expecting a knockout performance from him in the debates.
2: Correct, correct. But having said all of that, um, is that. I think part of what we're seeing here is that he's not done very well, but the voters still seem to be, at least now, sticking with him, um, especially now in the last couple of weeks, because they're starting to still ask the question, the Democrats... Despite his performance, despite the stories about about him and his son, um, where they've done nothing legally um, wrong, is that I think they're looking at this saying he still has the best shot of be- beating um, of Donald Trump. And the Democrats seem to be sticking with the candidate that um, they think could win, probably more than anything else. Now, in terms of swing voters, this is you know what. F- What few there are actually out in the United States at this point, and there's not many, Um, it's going to be an interesting question to see to what extent this turns them off to Joe Biden versus to what extent are they turned off by Donald Trump. And again, we just don't have clear evidence. Now, if we do, but the best we can come up with is if we look at the critical swing states right now, look at places like Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Florida, um, North Carolina, Biden and Trump. Um, seem to be pretty much neck to neck. And again, if we now say Biden, how does he do against Trump compared to Warren, compared to Sanders? Right. Biden does as well as any Democrat does against Trump. So again, it's hard to tell.
1: Which was apparently what drove the president to, to seek somebody to investigate him. Exactly. the Ukrainians, he, he's been polling. The, in fact, he was polling much higher.
2: He was. And earlier. So, right. And so that's why I'm saying it's possible that it could be because of the stories surrounding what's going on with Ukraine, or it could be what? His performance just hasn't been good in the debates, and so it's hard to tell. And I'm suspecting it's a little bit of both in terms of eroding his support. Right.
1: The, the other thing that that just I think is just extraordinary, and I know he's got a lot of money. I know he's one of the richest people in the world, but Mike Bloomberg is – Saturating the airwaves with his commercials. It's incredible. I I mean, so far he's already spent $100 million in in just a few weeks on commercials. And and I guess for somebody who's worth $54 billion,
2: that's just not that big a deal. It's not. If you think at $54 billion, if he spends, even if he spends $1 billion, he has spent only what? 2% of his net wealth. Um, so at this, so he's he's hardly spent anything at this point. Actually, one of my students had this great qu- comment the other day, and he said, um, you know, for most of us, the question is, you know, what would we bend over on the street for to pick up in terms of loose change on the ground <laughs> or something like that? And they were trying to do the equivalent of saying, if we bent down to pick up a quarter, what would be the equivalent for, for Michael Bloomberg? Bloomberg. Oh, and that's so, good. And someone said <laughs> it would have to be something like something like one hundred and fifty thousand dollars or something <laughs> like that. We calculated out, but yeah, no, he's incredibly rich. And and what's interesting here is that we're now starting to see him move up a little bit in the polls. You know, yeah. he entered very very late. I think I'm still seeing him only at about five or six percent. But the fact is, he is starting to uh, to have some movement at this point. And again, I don't know whether this is going to what this is really going to mean at this point. But it's actually pretty significant.
1: Right. And you know, and the commercials are are, are very good. It's just it It's going to be interesting to see if that can actually get traction because he is not uh, entered in any of the earliest states, which is of course Iowa, uh, Nevada, South Carolina, and New Hampshire. but he's going right into Super Tuesday, but anybody who's been watching TV even a little bit has seen at least one one or two of the ads at least twice.
2: Yes, I've seen several of them, and they're good, they're very good ads.
1: Well, it'll be interesting to see. I do, I do want to say, though, that CBS, and I think they do, they're do polling with the New York Times, has a new poll coming out tomorrow. And I think it will focus on Iowa. I think it will focus on the early states as well as the overall race. Uh, this is one of their big polls, and we'll have that on our 1030 show tomorrow. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what the CBS polling does and says uh, if if there's some kind of break or if somebody's doing really well. There was one poll that had Amy Klobuchar kind of bouncing up into double digits in Iowa, only Iowa. But that was certainly good news for her. But we don't know if that can be sustained through other polls. I mean, it, you really have to look at all the polls, don't you?
2: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's, it's critical, I think, for Amy Klobuchar. She needs – to do exceedingly well in Iowa, and she's banked her whole strategy on Iowa. And right now she's polling, the last polls I've seen, fifth at this point, she's going to have to do dramatically better than fifth to be able to um, uh, to really move on and be a credible candidate.
1: All right. Well, listen, we have to take a break. We're chatting with Professor David Schultz coming up in the 7 o'clock hour. We have the special radio play, It's a Wonderful Life, from the St. Paul Hotel. But when we come back, we're going to talk about... The surplus that the state of Minnesota has, $1.3 billion, they have funded the Rainy Day Fund, $2.6 billion. That's another $2.6 billion. What to do with that surplus? Is it a real surplus? Is it something we can count on? We'll talk about that with David Trills after this on News Talk 830. It's Esme Murphy along with Professor David Schultz, uh, producer Jonathan Lowe. Also want to give a shout out to producer Susan Blanche who uh, organized this show. We appreciate her. And coming up in just a few minutes, we're going to go to the St. Paul Hotel to the fabulous It's a Wonderful Life play. Before we get into some final words with David Schultz, I do want to express my condolences to somebody who was – Always very nice and and classy and wonderful to me and a hero to so many people here in the Twin Cities and and certainly a pillar of the hockey community. Doug Woog has passed away at the age of 75 uh, after a long illness. And I just wanted to express my condolences to his family, to the Gopher Hockey family. He was a a wonderful man, very charming. I met him a number of times, and he just was absolutely gracious and kind and... uh, Just really wonderful to deal with in every respects uh, to a new reporter that was uh, coming into town. So we are very sorry. And you'll be hearing much more here on uh, WCCO News Talk 830 on the passing of Doug Wu. But uh, let's go back to the political scene here with Professor David Schultz. Minnesota has a one point three billion dollar surplus or it's actually technically a projected surplus. There's a lot of wrangling about this, about what to do with it. Should we put it, you know, save it for a rainy day? Even though the rainy day fund is, is perfectly well-funded, a lot of people are wondering, well, geez, do we get some kind of a rebate?
2: Right. Well, first off, let's put this in perspective here, is that it's, 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 it's good news. There's no question about that. But also keep in mind that Minnesota still has this really strange and I'm going to actually call it stupid law in the books that says that for the purposes of of revenue inflation is counted but for the purposes of obligations inflation is not counted and the reason why I mention that is that if we actually were to factor inflation in for both the for both our obligations and costs as well as for income um, most of that $1.3 billion disappears right off the bat. That's the first thing to think about. The second thing is that with a budget that is approximately $50 billion every two years, $1.3 billion is approximately what? Two and a half percent of the entire budget, and for many people out there who are in business, they know what I'm going to say here is that a lot of times in businesses, two and a half percent is not much of a cushion. You pro- a lot of contracts, some a lot of a lot of contracts will oftentimes have contingencies of five percent, if not more. I'm just mentioning this because right off the bat, it's questionable whether we have a surplus, if so, how much. And, again, also the report noting our surplus said that the horizon beyond this biennium does not look so rosy. So there's, there's a lot of challenges out there before we even get to the question now of if we do have money, how do we want to spend it? All right. But is
1: that still the case even when you've got this rainy day fund, which is funded, I think, at $2.6 billion?
2: Yes, Yes, we we're still looking at a situation now where that inflation issue is still out there, yes.
1: But overall though, Minnesota's in pretty good shape. No, Minnesota's actually I mean, you know, there are states that are, you know, way 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 in debt. I mean, it's it's something that, that's
2: a positive. No, it's good. Now, I was going to say, I would rather have it say we're $1.3 billion in black as opposed to $1.3 billion in whole. So there's no debate about that. But what is going to be fascinating now is what all this means in terms of going into the 2020 um, legislative session, which is going to be a very short session. Um, it's also one going into the election where both the Democrats and Republicans are going to have uh, clearly competing objectives regarding how they want to spend that money. And I'm almost going to bet one of two scenarios. Scenario one: the partisan divisions are so great they don't do anything with it. The second scenario is if they're smart, they figure out a way of each side getting a, a piece of that money because both the Democrats and Republicans want to go back to their constituents and say they're bringing something home to their to their to their constituents. And so, I don't know which scenario is more likely at this point.
1: It's. Um... Obviously, we're going to hear a lot of arguments about this. I mean, there are all kinds of proposals. Um, Senator Gazelka, the majority, Senate Majority Leader, threw out one uh, saying, hey, listen, remember, folks, Minnesota is one of 13 states that taxes Social Security benefits. Mm -hmm. Maybe we shouldn't be. Uh, I mean, there are a lot of big proposals that are going to be thrown out there. This is an election year. It'll be interesting to see how they play. And one of the things about this year, on top of everything else that's going on with you know, the presidential election, every member of the Minnesota legislature is up for election. They're, all
2: the seats are open. That's right. There's no question about it. And, and with that, um, it is that we're going to see, again, enormous pressure in terms of how they want to spend that money or not spend the money because you're Right. We're going to see potentially the control of both chambers being in play. So, so I, I think it's going to be fascinating to sort to, to look at. By the way, I was just going to mention to you. I just got a, um, a a news clip here that said that Colin Peterson has said officially he's not going to vote for impeachment. Not a surprise. but I just got. A wow. Note okay. It. All
1: yeah. right. That's 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 news because he has officially been. I mean, I think that's what everybody expected, but. So uh, Dave Schultz reporting that that he's getting an alert that Colin Peterson has actually said he will vote uh, against impeachment. He's a no on impeachment, which we we thought, but he had basically said he was undecided here for the past couple of weeks. Uh, In some of the preliminary votes, he had said that he was against it, but now he's saying that he will. So clearly it will not be a unanimous vote. I mean, the, the Republicans have tried to say that the opposition is bipartisan. It has been bipartisan, but just barely
2: correct correct no question about it but again just bringing us quickly back to the legislative races at this point and the money i think other things that they've been talking about they still are trying to find a way to fund what reduction in prices for insulin we have a bonding bill coming up and also there's been some talk about saying what elimination or reduction of the medical provider tax and so there are a variety of different proposals that i think that are being thrown out there and then of course there are some people who are saying well we could probably use a few more dollars to be spent on education too So. There's lots of ways that people are going to want to spend that money or pressure to cut taxes.
1: All right. Well, listen, Professor David Schultz, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us early on this Saturday night.
2: It was my pleasure. and Good night to all.
1: Absolutely. The one and only David Schultz. Also, check out his blog at Schultz's Take.